How is everybody? Good, good. I know. Thanks. <laughs> um, so we've been ragging on Kyle a lot uh, this weekend. I'm, I didn't think of this until uh, the first service at five yesterday. So the last song that Kyle did today is the first song he ever did when he led worship here before we had hired him. And um, I've known Kyle for a long time, known him, gosh, 10 plus years now. And uh, we went to church together before I started this, and then he had moved to Indianapolis, and he took a uh, job as an air traffic controller and, and um, had never worked kind of in, in ministry as a job, as an occupation. I always kind of hoped he would, and so we kept in touch over the years, and I would try to you know, feel it out and kind of see how the situation was. And anyways, when he started showing interest in possibly moving down here, he and his wife, and um, helping at the church... Uh, it was a huge sacrifice. They had to give up a lot and good salary and a nice house and all that stuff. And, and so he was willing to do that. And so <laughs> at the time, uh, we had never hired anyone outside of our church, right? So and at the time, I think we only had like four or five employees. It was like me, Amber, Josh, uh, Corey, Patrick, maybe. I think that was it. And they were all skeptical of Kyle. They didn't know Kyle yet, you know? And so Josh was leading worship at the time. And he said, well, let's have him come down and he can lead a couple of songs with me. And um, the day before, we'll have him over for dinner, and we'll, we'll make sure he's uh, experienced material, right? And I was like, okay. And uh, so he came down, he and Rachel, and the Brookers had us over for dinner. A little tidbit about Josh. If you ever eat dinner at Josh's house, you'll probably eat deer, because he kills like one deer a year, and that's what he eats all year, and it's this deer. And so everything you have at the Brookers' house, he's like, there's deer in that. And it's like, okay. So... Um, and so uh, we're over there eating at the Brookers. We have dinner and we, we sit down to have coffee afterwards. And, and Josh goes, hey, are you guys board game people? And um, <laughs> that's how you know it's a party, right? Uh, are you guys board game people? And uh, Elise and I are not board game people, but we're just playing along, you know. And, and uh, Kyle and Rachel are being polite. And they're like, yeah, we like board games. And so Josh goes and he gets this new board game. And he goes, man, I just got this new game. It's amazing. It's called Settlers of Catan. <laughs> And he pulls it, you know, whatever. And he pulls it out. He pulls it out and he's like, you know, okay, you have these provinces and you're building up your settlements. And I'm like, yes, yeah, so you can take them over in war, like risk. And he's like, no, 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 you gather resources and minerals. And I'm like, and I'm looking at him and I look over at Kyle and Kyle's just kind of like, you know, who is this Josh Brooker guy? And I'm like, I was like, I don't know, man. But anyways, like we played Settlers of Catan for way too long and played it. And I think my wife ended up winning. And, and um, I was like, well, that was fun. You get to pretend like we're farmers, you know, like <laughs> anyways, so, uh, we played Settlers of Catan. And, and then the next day, Kyle comes in and he's going to lead worship with Josh and he's wearing fuchsia colored jeans. <laughs> and I forgot, <laughs> I forgot about this part until, till today. Everyone thought he was from Great Britain. So all these people were coming up and they're just like, hey, is that new worship leader English? Is he from Great Britain? And I'm like, no, he's from Indiana, you know? And, um, <laughs> and so, uh, but anyways, I got a text later that day on Sunday and Josh goes, let's hire Kyle. And I was like, all right. And then the rest is, is history. And now, you know, we have Kyle. So that's a good thing, right? So, <laughs> and we're still stuck with Josh and on and on it goes. If you've never been at the church before, uh, we take ourselves extremely seriously here, and uh, we're, uh, <laughs> we're going through the Gospel of John. If you've never read the Gospel of John, it's great. And what we've been doing is we've been doing fundamentals, right? Core stuff, basic stuff. Some of you in this room have been Christians longer than I've been alive. I've only been a Christian since 02, late 02, so I'm still kind of new at the game. 
And uh, it's important as we grow as Christians, or if you're not a Christian in here, it's so important to know what the fundamentals are, the basics, the simple things. Sometimes we forget the simple things and we keep building on the foundation we have, and that foundation isn't solid, which means at any time, if we're not careful, everything we have can kind of topple over, and we've seen that in culture a little bit. So we're going back to the Gospels, we're going back to the basics, and we're going to hit on that. If you weren't here last week, we were in chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament. If you have a Bible, if you don't, you should have had a notes handout so you'll be able to follow along. And so we were in the fourth Gospel, uh, in the fourth chapter. It's talking about the woman at the well. And if you've never read that story, it's phenomenal. You get to see how Jesus interacts with a woman who has a very bad reputation and a checkered past and was seen as racially inferior from a part of town that people didn't like. And we get to see Jesus interact with this non-believer, and it's just amazing. And we get to see kind of the finality of that this week. But we asked ourselves this question. When we come into contact with Jesus, how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to Christ? And then we asked, if we've responded to Christ, then how do we reach out like Christ? How do we talk to people like Jesus? How do we reach out to people that don't believe like we do or think like we do or we may see as inferior or whatever the case may be? How do we communicate with them? Now, this week we're going to talk about this. Guys, it's going to be the most anticlimactic message you've ever heard me teach. We're going to talk about this, that when we position ourselves to hear the Word of God and when we obey what the Word of God says, things will change. It's that simple. I mean, it's not going to be earth-shattering. It's not going to be anything that you've probably not thought of or not, not heard before, especially if you're a Christian. If you're not a believer in here, maybe it is new, but it's not anything super complicated. Christ is a lot more simple in a lot of respects than we, we think sometimes. So if we hear the Word of God and we obey the Word of God, we will see change in our lives. That's going to be our, our thesis today, okay? So I'm going to pray. We'll get into this, and um, we'll see what happens. Guys, I, I probably don't tell you enough. I want to tell you thank you. Thank you that you're the kind of church that loves the Word of God, that loves digging into the Word of God, that loves studying the Word of God. It says a lot about you, and it says a lot about your, your spiritual maturity. Thank you so much that I get to do this. I love you guys so much, and I hope our church just serves you well, and, and, and I hope that you're growing here. So we'll pray, we'll dive into the Word today, and uh, we'll see what happens, okay? <sighs> Lord Jesus, God, I just want to tell you thank you, Lord. Thank you for everyone in this room right now. God, everyone is here Regardless if they even know this, they are here because you have planted them here right now. So Lord, since the world was ever formed and since any of us were even born, you knew that we would be at this moment, at this time for a reason. Lord God, open up our ears. Open up our eyes. Let us understand. Let us see what's going on. Let us absorb what you have to say to us today, God. Father, we also pray for every single church in our city and in our county, Lord, the bigger ones, the smaller ones. God, as long as they proclaim that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Father, we not, we're not in competition with them. Lord, we want to link arms with them, and we want to advance your kingdom, not pastors or leaders or churches, God, but your kingdom and your name, Lord, that's what's important. And Lord, let us push that, God, and Lord, let us make you famous. Father, God, bless us today, not because we've deserved it, God, but because we need you so much, and we need a relationship with you. Keep your hand on us, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, we are in the Gospel of John, fourth chapter. I'm gonna start in verse 27, okay? We did about half of it last week. We'll do the other half this week, all right? Just then, his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? 
Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the men, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and they made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone else have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months, then comes the harvest? Listen, listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Okay, so if you weren't here last week, right? They're going through an area of Israel that the Jews don't like, an area called Samaria. Jesus comes in contact with a woman at a well who is not only a woman who men and women in public didn't really communicate, especially if they were single, they didn't do that. So he ran into a woman who had a very checkered, shady past. She'd been with a lot of men and had a reputation for that. She was also from an area that the Jews looked down upon. And Jesus is talking one-on-one with this woman, ministering to her, witnessing to her, okay? So as he's doing that, the disciples leave and they're going grocery shopping, right? So they go, they get some supplies, they're getting some food, they're going to come back and they're going to eat dinner with Jesus. As they come back, the conversation that Jesus is having is wrapping up. And it says they were shocked, they were amazed, the Bible says, that Jesus was talking to this woman. We could probably change the word amazed for repulsed. They were repulsed by this. How dare he? is essentially what most people think. This is very important though. Though they were repulsed by it, they were sensitive to the woman and they were courteous to their leader, so they hid their repulsion and they didn't say anything about it. Now, you're gonna come in contact with, and I have come in contact with many people who are gonna have stories that shock us, repulse us, and and, and kinda make us draw back, right? but we can't show that because we're being courteous. We have to be sensitive. We have to be compassionate. We have to be empathetic for those that we love and that we're reaching out to. So we need to be careful sometimes not to let everyone see the repulsion or shock or amazement that may be on our face, right? So the woman at the well had changed. She was not what she used to be. She was different. And she was excited about the conversation she had just had with Jesus. She was so excited that she had come there to get water and she forgot her water jar. She left it there. She ran back into town. And what we see is the first example in the Gospel of John of someone being born again. Now, we know the disciples were following Jesus. Nicodemus had already talked to Jesus. But this is the first woman that we see her life transform in the Gospels. Her life completely changes. And essentially what happened was this. Her past was no longer a stumbling block to her future. That's essentially what happened. She didn't care about what she had done. Not that she wasn't embarrassed or ashamed or that that she didn't regret those things, but she had been forgiven of those things and she wanted everyone in town to know that her life was different, that she had found the Savior, that she had found someone that knew her from the inside out and that life was going to be different. And essentially what was happening is this, the spiritual 
and the physical, she was moving past the physical into the spiritual. And as the woman was rounding up the townsfolk to meet Jesus, the same problem that Nicodemus had, the same problem that the woman at the well had initially, the disciples had the same problem. They couldn't see past what was going on in the, in the, in the physical to see what was going on in the spiritual. And so they were just trying to get Jesus to eat, right? You must be hungry, teacher. You must be hungry. Eat something, eat something. They saw that he was hungry and tired, but he wasn't focused on the physical. Jesus was focused on the spiritual. And that's the lesson he wanted to teach him. He said, guys, I don't need any food. My food is to do the will of him that sent me to finish his work. I get a kick out of the disciples, right? They're like, when we were at Kroger's, did someone bring you Chick-fil-A or what? Why aren't, why aren't you hungry, right, Jesus? Jesus would have ate Chick-fil-A, right? So, and so he said that, the, 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 that his hunger, his nourishment is fulfilled not just by the physical, but by the spiritual. Now listen, Jesus knows that we need the physical. Jesus knows that everyone in this room needs to eat. You need water, you need shelter, you need enough money to pay your bills. God knows that, but what he's trying to teach us is this, is that we need to put the spiritual first. Our fulfillment doesn't come by the physical that we receive. It comes from the spiritual things that we receive. And Jesus even said, if we seek first the kingdom of God, God's going to make sure that our basic necessities are met. Now, I know sometimes we don't feel like our basic necessities are met because we want more things, we want more comforts, but he knows you need food, he knows you need water, he knows you need clothes, and if we seek him first, he will provide those things. And our problem is this, and guys, every single one of us has done this, we put our physical needs before our spiritual needs. For instance, we say, well, I'll give to the church when I have more money, or I'll sacrifice my time when I have more time. I will start raising my kids better when these things line up, or I'll spend more time with my wife when these things happen at work. And we always kind of make these excuses and try to get the physical situated before we address the spiritual. And so Jesus is trying to make this point, and as he's making this point, he sees off in the distance, a lot of the people from the town are coming up the hill to meet the one that this woman has talked about. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, don't you guys say that the grain harvest is going to be ready in about four months? So literally the physical harvest of all the grain is going to be ready, but not yet. He says, you guys are worried about the physical. And he says, open up your eyes and look at the fields. They're already ready for harvest. He wasn't talking about the physical fields of grain. He was talking about the harvest of men and women's hearts. He was essentially saying, we don't need to make excuses. Don't wait until you think it's time. Go out and engage people. Go out and talk to people. Go out and serve people and love people. We need to have a sense of urgency about us. That doesn't mean we're maniacs. It doesn't mean you take your big King James Bible and just whack people upside the head. That's not the way Jesus was telling us to do it. But we are not to hesitate in going out and meeting our neighbor or meeting the people around us or engaging people at work or school or whatever the case may be. Guys, I did, we did two funerals in this church last week and we have one this coming week. Three funerals in less than 10 days. Now, I'm not trying to scare you or anything, but we do not have forever to put off engaging the people around us. We have to go out. We have to talk. We have to love. We have to communicate. We have to get past our small differences. We have to engage people. And Jesus says this is a team effort. You don't do it alone. It's a team effort. Jesus said the sower and the reaper rejoice together. 
This means that some of us just plant the seed of the gospel. Maybe we just tell people about the Lord or we tell people what God has done in our life. Maybe we just shake a hand or buy a cup of coffee. Maybe we just plant the seed and maybe we never get to see the fruit of it, but someone else does. And that's okay. The sower of the gospel and the reaper of the gospel rejoice together. What that means is this, and we're not taught this very often. It's not about us. It's not about our individual churches. It's not about our individual accomplishments in capital yellow letters. It is about advancing the kingdom of God. You guys with me? It's not about whose church is cooler or better, what speaker is better, what band is better, any of those things. It's not about what accolades I get or you get or anything else. We've got to get past that, and we've got to know that the souls of mankind is more important than our numbers. It's more important than who gets the credit. This is a big deal, and the sower and the reaper should be able to rejoice together. Paul said it this way. Paul said, I planted Apollos, who is another Christian leader, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but it's God that gives the growth. Now the one planting and the one watering are in one purpose, and each will receive the reward that they deserve based on their labor. That's what Paul said. We're in this together. Okay, so when it comes to the harvest, right, of reaching out to people, listen, God knows that you need food. He knows you need water. He knows that you need clothes. He knows that there are basic necessities that all of us need. He knows that. But he tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. We must think of our spiritual self even more than the water we drink and the food we eat. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God in our lives. We also need to stop making excuses. I'm not trying to be mean or condescending, but we need to stop making excuses for why we don't engage our children or why we don't engage our spouse, or why we don't engage those people at work, or why we don't engage our neighbor, or why we don't engage that person at the gym or the coffee shop or whatever the case may be. Well, I'm just not comfortable. I don't speak well. Neither did Moses, and God gave him a couple of million followers, right? We need to stop making excuses, and we just need to engage. We need to get to know people. We got to pour into people. We got to love people. We got to forgive people. Also, commitment to the church is great. You need to be committed to a church. This hurts people's feelings sometimes, but people are just like, man, I go to eight churches. Well, you need to go to one church and you need to commit to that church and you need to be submitted to that pastor and you need to pour into that community. It's not that we're against other churches, but you need to be involved in the local church on a level to where you're submitted and you're getting plugged in. Now, that's important, but even more important than that is the greater church. So if you ever come to a next class here, we have one, I think the 14th, One of the things we always say and we pray for before people leave is this. If this is not the church that God's going to grow you in, that's fine with us. Let us find you a church where you will grow. If you don't like music, go to North Boulevard. Fantastic church, fantastic pastor, fantastic staff, best church in town in my opinion. We'll send you over there. If you like more charismatic, go to Christian Life Church. Or, or if you like more of a, a, I don't know, a smaller feel, but like this, City Church is a great church. Or, or New Vision is a great church. World Out, there's lots of great churches. You don't have to come to church here, but you got to be plugged in somewhere. And it has to be for the greater good of Christianity. Okay? Next part. You guys still with me? You're awfully quiet. Okay. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. I don't know if I'd like that. Therefore, 
When the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard ourselves and know that this is really the Savior of the world. After two days, he left there for Galilee, and Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered into Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they had also gone to that festival. That's where he turned the water to wine, okay? So what happens is this, right? The woman at the well goes back into town and she tells everyone, she tells everyone. And John wrote, now many in the town believed because of the testimony of the life change that this woman had experienced. Now, when you get into the Bible, you will see many, many stories of powerful things that had happened because others shared what God had done in their life. If you get into the book of Revelation, this is a big deal. In the 12th chapter of Revelation, it says, we overcome Satan, we overcome evil two different ways, by the blood of Jesus and by the power of the story of what the blood of Jesus has done to us. So our testimony, our talking to other people about what God has done for us is a big deal. Now listen, I love the Word of God. If I walk up to someone, even if I've known them for a long time, and I say, hey, the Bible says this, 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 and this, if they're not a Christian, they don't respect that, but they do respect me. We've had a relationship for years, and so if I tell them what God has done in my life, that I used to be addicted to narcotics, that I tried to kill myself a couple of times, and God let me overcome that, and He's put me on a better path. If I share that, then this book has a little bit more validity to it. What I believe has a little bit more substance to it. There is power in our personal testimony, and we need to use that. We also get to see how Jesus witnessed and talked to non-believers. Now, this may be one of the most important slides for all the Christians in the room. This may be one of the most important slides that I put up. The Samaritans asked Jesus to stay for a couple, uh, a couple more days, and many more became believers because of how Jesus witnessed to them. Now, how did Jesus witness to non-believers? We see it in chapter 4, and it's extremely important. The first way is this. Jesus' example of witnessing shows that we must be friendly to each other. Now, that should be a given, Right? but we haven't been the best at that. In fact, the Bible says that non-believers will know that you're a Christian based on how we love each other, based on how we talk to each other and how friendly we are with each other, how compassionate, how forgiving we are with each other. It doesn't mean that we accept sin. It doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to it, but we are kind, we are gentle, we are compassionate. Jesus also asked questions. Look at the woman at the well. He converses with her. He asks her about her life. He shows genuine concern for her needs. We should also do that. Christians need to be empathetic. Instead of just hearing someone's story and being like, whoa, you made some really bad choices there. Maybe we look and we say, okay, I don't agree with your choices, but I can understand how you did that. I can understand why this pressure was on you. I can understand why maybe you thought that was a good idea. And we're empathetic. We show concern. Christians also need to be able to explain the Scripture. Guys, I'm going to be rude here for a second. You can't explain the Scripture if you don't read the Scripture. You guys with me? Unless we read this, we can't explain this. And guys, let me show you. I, I believe this book is extremely important. 
And so if someone comes up to me and they have marital issues, this book gives wonderful advice on how to, help, how to have a healthy marriage. When people come with economic issues, this book gives wonderful advice on how to be economically solid. When people struggle with materialism or greed or lust or whatever the case may be, there is scripture for all of that. And if I explain that and I show them these very practical answers to issues that they may have, again, this book starts to gain validity and credibility. We also, when we witness to non-believers, we also give them hope of change. There's where our personal story comes in, right? Corey, I'm dealing with all these drugs. I don't know if I can overcome it. Cocaine addict, right? Overcame it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by good counseling, by a good community, you can do this. You can do this. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. And we give that to people. And that's how Christ witnessed to people. Here's the downside of all that. As much as we witness, as much truth as we tell people, as much as we love people, we cannot convert people. In fact, we're not asked to convert people. The Bible never tells us to make converts. It tells us to make disciples. We're responsible for loving. We're responsible for sharing. We're responsible for being there to the best of our abilities, but we cannot choose uh, or we cannot convert people. Uh, once we've shared the truth in love, their response is completely up to them. Now, the other side of that, though, is this. We have a whole world out there looking for the meaning of all this. What is the meaning of all this? What, what are we doing here? What is the end game? What should I be shooting towards? And guys, if you're a believer in here, you know what the end game is. You know what the answer is. You know what the key to happiness and contentment and a better life here and forever is. You know that. So I ask you, why are you so silent? Why am I so silent? Are we so afraid of society's thoughts on us that we don't care about his thoughts for us and that we don't care about eternity? Let me tell you a, a, an interesting story. You can YouTube this tonight. Look it up on YouTube. Uh, Penn Gillette, if anyone knows who Penn and Teller is, the famous uh, magicians, they've been around for decades. They have a huge show in Las Vegas. They've had TV shows. And Penn Gillette's a really fascinating character. He's a very, very staunch atheist. Does not believe in God. Very, very staunch atheist. He's not a jerk about it, but he's, he's very staunch against all religion. So one night he made a YouTube video, Penn did, he went uh, uh, to Las Vegas. He was in Las Vegas, did a big show in front of thousands of people, was leaving the stage, going backstage, and a man ran up to him with tears in his eyes, and he had a Gideon Bible, one of those little green Bibles, right? Ran up to Pendulette, and he said, God told me to give you this. He said, I love you. I care about you. I pray for you. This book contains the words for you to have eternal life so you don't have to go to hell. You can be in heaven with Christ. And he's crying and he gives him this book. He says, please read this book. Please read this book. And so Penn Jillette took that and he said, thank you. And you know, gave him a hug or whatever. And he said, thank you, thank you. And he went home that night and you can watch the video. Penn Jillette talked about how much that wrecked him in a good way. He said, look, I'm not a believer. I don't believe in Jesus. But he said, if you read this book and you're a Christian and you do believe in Jesus and you believe people like me are going to go to eternal damnation unless we believe in Jesus, he goes, you need to get your act together and start telling more people about this book. An atheist magician knows more about evangelism than most Christians. There needs to be a sense of urgency in us. There needs to be a concern in us. We need to understand the implications if we don't reach out and love people. And he wasn't offended by this man's love. He was touched deeply by this Christian's love that he would go out of that way for him. And it's more than just a moment though. It's not just this sinner's prayer, one and done thing. I don't believe in that. I don't believe that's biblical. But Jesus stuck around. 
Once these people had faith, once these people said, okay, maybe this is the savior of the world, he showed up and he stuck around for a couple more days. And what John wants to show us in that is this, is that accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior, this saving faith, is not the end of our journey, it is the beginning of our journey. It's like when you put a wedding ring on, put that on, you say, I do, you're like, whoo, all right, see when we, you know, when we drop dead and you walk away, that's not the way a marriage works. If that's the way your marriage is going, you can come counsel with me, that's not the way it works. When we put the wedding ring on, that's just the launching pad. That's when you really get to know that person. That's when you become intimate with that person. That's when you live together and spend your time together and raise a family together. That's when it starts to get good. It's the same thing with Jesus. We've created this culture where we say, I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And then we go do whatever we want. And that is not biblical. That we are to get deep with him, intimate with him. Faith in Jesus is a relationship. It may start with a prayer, it may start with a moment, but it in no means ends there. There should be this desire in us to grow deeper and more and more in love with him as time goes on. And so, Jesus was from northern Israel. I don't know if you guys knew that. Jesus was a Yankee. He was from northern Israel. <laughs> and as they started to head back north to his home province, he mentions that in his hometown, that a prophet usually uh, uh, does not receive a warm welcome in his hometown. And what he was alluding to is this. This is huge. Jesus says the people who should accept you the most are typically the ones that reject you the most. That's what Jesus said. And if you study the Gospels, that's, been, that's the staple of Jesus' life. His family rejected him. His friends rejected him. The government rejected him. His, his people, the Jewish people, rejected him. But Jesus Christ loved all of them through that. Now, if you're new to Christianity, or maybe you're old to Christianity, but we've forgotten this fundamental, right? Basic. All of this, church, gathering together, Christianity can be wrapped up in one word, relationship. It is all about relationships. Even Jesus, when he was approached by a Pharisee, they say, what is the greatest commandment that God ever gave us? And he says, love your Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. In other words, have a relationship with God. That's the greatest commandment. But he didn't stop there. Jesus said, you also need to love other people like you love yourself, which means you need to have community with others. You need to have relationships with others. Now, if you go back into the Old Testament, into Genesis, you ever hear people say, man, it's just me and God. It's just me and God. It's just me and God. That's all we have. It's all I need, me and God. That's not biblical. If you go back in Genesis, the only time God said it wasn't good during creation is when it was just him and man. He said, this isn't good. It's not good that man's alone. So relationships are not just between us and God. The design by God is that we have our relationship between us and him, but we also have a lateral relationship with each other. That's why the church is so vitally important. So for our salvation, it's a relationship. It's not a moment, but it's an ongoing relationship with our creator. And second, when we witness to others, it's not just a moment. We're called to follow up. We're called to create community. We're called to love people through their junk. We're called to get dirty. We're called to get bloody and have tears and laugh and cry and do everything we can to walk through life with people as they mature and get closer to God. And as we help lift each other up, Galatians 6.1, as we bear each other's burdens, that fulfills the law of Christ. That's what it says. So it's all about relationships, okay? Last part. 
Man, you guys are so quiet today. It's creeping me out, right? Last part. Then he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for his son was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, said the official to him, come down before my boy dies. Let me pause there for a second. The reason why it says come up and down, it mentions that, is this man literally traveled uphill for about 15 miles. So when he says come down, he literally meant come down the hill to where my son is. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him, and he departed. While he was going down, his slaves met him, saying that the boy was alive. And he asked them, at what time did he get better? Yesterday around seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. And the father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed, along with his whole household. This, therefore, was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Okay, so Jesus goes back to where he did his first miracle. That was a couple of chapters ago, right? The water to wine. Jesus bypassed his hometown. He went into Cana, and while he was going into Cana, there was a royal official. We don't know if it was a Jewish official or a Roman official. It doesn't really matter. It's not the same one from the other gospels because it's about a son, not a, a, a worker, all right? So he's running up the hill to meet Jesus. He encounters Jesus, and he says, my son is sick. He actually didn't travel 25 miles. I was wrong on that. It's 15 miles, but it was uphill 15 miles. So it's like saying, oh, you didn't run a whole marathon. You only ran a half uphill. It's still a lot, right? So this guy was working really hard on behalf of his son. Now imagine this picture if you're a parent in here especially, right? This man runs up. He's a man of prominence. He's a man of importance, probably wealthy, runs to Jesus, and he's persistent He's desperate, he's broken, he's scared, he hits his knees. I don't know if he was grabbing Jesus' clothes or maybe he was kissing his feet or getting down. He's begging Jesus, you've got to do something. And as he's doing that, oddly enough, Jesus isn't speaking to him. I know it says he told the man, but he was looking out at the crowd. And he says to the crowd, the only reason you guys are here is to see signs and wonders. The only reason you're here, the only way you'll believe is if you see a miracle. You came here to see a show, is what Jesus said to all the people watching. Now that brings up an interesting thing in the Gospel of John. The kind of faith, that, this is so important, the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have and the kind of faith that the Gospel of John writes about is the kind of faith that people have when they don't have to see it to believe it, but because they believe, they see the miraculous take place. And the passive crowd, they wanted to see proof before they would believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But the official had the kind of faith that Jesus was looking for, the kind of faith that the woman at the well had. They didn't see anything miraculous. They heard the Word of God, and they believed because of the Word of God. Faith that is only built on signs and wonders in the spectacular is not biblical faith. It is not biblical faith. The spectacular did introduce some to God. 
It was a catalyst for some to have faith in God, but it was the word of God. It was the word of Jesus that saved people and changed them into an authentic believer. Now, if you don't believe that, Paul wrote this, faith comes from hearing, not from seeing, not from touching, not from smelling. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of Christ. Corey, why is the Bible so important? Because faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. Every single word in this book is inspired by God and we have to hear it and faith develops from it. That's where it comes from. So he says, go, go and your son will live. And there's a lesson in obedience here. Jesus tells the official to go and have faith, not in a sign because there wasn't a sign yet. Jesus said, have faith in my word and your son will be healed. Now again, what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11:1 1 teaches us what faith is. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That is the biblical definition of true faith. Here's what faith is in the Corey way of putting it, right? Here's what faith is. Faith in Christ is not always getting what I want. Faith in Christ is not getting my prayers answered all the time. True faith is trusting that regardless of what God does or doesn't do for me, true faith is knowing that he has my best interest in heart and that he is sovereign over everything and I am not. You guys are out there, right? Faith is not that everything that we ask for is going to get answered, but knowing that regardless if it does or doesn't, Jesus is in control, Jesus knows what he's doing, and he's looking out for me. That is faith. It's the hope of what we do not see. It's believing in what we do not see. And so hearing the word of God, because it's not enough just to hear it, James said, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. So hearing is worthless by itself we must also obey it. So the official heard Jesus's words, go and your son will live. And then he did what he was supposed to do. He did what Jesus told him to do. And true faith and true love for God is obeying the commands of Jesus. Again, Corey, how do you know that? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. And so after the official obeyed and he started on his journey home, right? At least he got to go downhill this time. He started back on his journey home. Halfway back, his slaves, and I put that in quotation because that's not like slaves like we think of. These are employees, essentially. A couple of his employees met him halfway and they said, boss, your son has recovered. The fever left, the fever broke, it's gone, it's gone. And he stops and he says, okay, when did that happen? When did that happen? And they said about, I don't know, about seven o'clock in the morning. And he probably fell down to his knees and he's like, oh, that was the exact same time I was talking to Jesus. It's the exact same time I was talking to the Lord. So listen, the official heard, he responded, he saw a great miracle, and then he told everyone about it. Heard, responded, things changed, and he told everyone, everyone about it. And the faith of his family is the kind of faith that John wants us to have and the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have. He went back to his family and he said, this is what happened. I heard this. I obeyed this. These things changed. And they believed. They hadn't even seen Jesus yet. They hadn't laid eyes on Jesus yet. But they believed based on the testimony, based on the change that they saw in the boy. They believed. And this represents the kind of faith that John describes throughout the gospel. So the main point is this, before we get to the last slide. 
is Jesus wants a relationship with us. Like God, no one in this room wants people to be your friends because they're desperate, right? Or because they're afraid. If I'm not Corey's friend, I don't know why you'd be afraid of that. But anyways, people, people don't want relationship because people are afraid. God's the same way. Listen, if we're here just because we're afraid of going to hell, you're at church for the wrong reason. If you're pursuing Jesus just because you don't want to go to hell, that's not the right reason to pursue Jesus. Jesus wants us to pursue him because he wants a relationship with us, and we should want to have fellowship in a relationship with him that we want to grow, that we want to honor him, that we want to get closer. So if you're in here and you're not a believer, if you are not a believer, this last little paragraph here is really good for you, okay? This kind of shows us the expectations of Christianity, the expectations of God. And if you are a believer in here, we easily forget this. And so it's a good reminder, okay? These are the expectations of Christ. Jesus or God wants us to give his word a chance. Give it a chance. It's funny. I don't, if you're out there, maybe come catch me afterwards. I haven't met anyone who just says, man, the world is going in a great direction right now. I like this direction. I haven't met anyone like that. There's turbulence, not just in the United States, all over the world. It's global. It's global. It's like we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? I was on the way to church yesterday, and I, this was funny. I thought, you know, snowing in hell or something. There was two stickers on this guy's car. There was a Bernie sticker and a Trump sticker on one car. And I was like, I had my head cocked to the side. I'm like, that's a first. And so it said Bernie, and then it had the Trump sticker, and, and then the sarcasm. I saw it eventually. It said Trump because they're a little less evil than the other one. And I was like, oh, okay, that's it. Guys, I'm not trying to go there. But I'm just saying, this is how we all feel, right? We feel like we're like backed into a corner. We feel like the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And it's interesting to me, if so many of us feel like that, if so many of us have been negatively affected by broken marriages and broken homes and addictions and trials and tribulations, and we're going through all these different things and porn addictions and and infidelity and all these things that are going wrong, why would we not look for another solution? And God's saying, here, why don't you give this a chance? You're struggling with your marriage, why don't you give this a chance? You're struggling economically, give this a chance. You're struggling with your family dynamics, give this a chance. God just asks us to give his word a chance. And then once we give the word a chance, we're asked to obey it and to apply it. It's not enough just to hear it. It's not enough just to read it. We must obey it and apply it. And then we have to trust that his way is better for us. We have to have faith. Like I said earlier, faith is not getting everything we want when we pray, but faith is trusting that whatever God decides to do, it's better than what we decide. We have to have faith. And then we have to mature in that faith. And the reason why is so others can grow in their faith, so others can come to know who Jesus Christ is. This is the expectations of Christianity. Now, I told you, I already warned you guys, most anticlimactic ending ever. What I feel like the Lord is telling a lot of us is this. We need to hear the word, right? It's not enough, though. We also need to obey the word, do the word. And if we hear the word and obey the word, we will see change. You'll see change. The question is this, though. Are you and I positioning ourselves to hear the word of God? We have to take the time. It has to be a priority in our life to hear the Word of God. All the time people say, man, I just don't have the time. I don't know if you guys knew this. You know astronauts only have 24 hours a day too, right? 
You guys know that, right? Painters only have 24 hours a day. Musicians only have 24 hours a day. Lawyers and doctors, they only have 24 hours a day. All of us have the same amount of time. The difference between me and an astronaut is, is they've probably prioritized their time better to get to a higher level of success than I have. So we all have 24 hours in a day. It's what we find to be a priority in our life, though, that dictates where that time goes. Are we positioning ourselves to hear the Word of God? Are you at church? Guys, I'm not trying to sell you on our church, but you need to go somewhere, and you need to hear someone who studied the Word of God teach you and challenge you to read the Word of God and to study the Word of God, too. Are you attending church? It's the 11 o'clock, so we have infinite amount of time, right? Nine times out of 10, when anyone comes into my office and their life is in shambles, I will ask, how is your church attendance? It's not good. Okay, you need to be at church. You need to be at church. If you don't like this church, if you don't like me, it's fine. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It does a little bit. But anyways, <laughs> we'll find you a church that's good for you. Are you attending? And then are you reading? Listen, guys, the most you're gonna get out of me in a week is a chapter. The last couple of weeks, you've only gotten half a chapter. So listen, if you depend just on me to give you the Word of God, it's not enough. There are 66 books of the Bible in this book, and there's a lot of chapters, thousands of them. You need to read it on your own. You don't have to digest the whole thing by next week. How do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. Read a little bit here and there. Read ahead of me. Just read a couple of chapters. Start small. Don't try to read the whole thing in a certain amount of time. Just take your time. But you need to be reading. You need to be studying. You need to be attending. So if we're positioning ourselves to hear the Word of God, which all of you are right now, if we're positioning ourselves to hear the Word of God, are we responding to what we hear? Guys, I'm not trying to be a jerk when we talk about sin. Quite frankly, the church, not just this church, all churches, we need to talk about sin more. We need to know what the cancer is so we can remove it. And part of the removal process is repentance. We need to ask God to forgive us. And listen, even when we've beat the big sin, right? We like to, we like to quantify sin. Even when we've beat the big sin, well, I'm not addicted to porn anymore, but we may still have jealousy issues. Or we may still be covetous. That's a Ten Commandment. We still may be rivalrous. We, we may still have rivalry with each other. We might need to work on our attitude. We might have to repent for the words we use. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's not just a one-time event. It's just constantly assessing and letting God shine the light on us so we know what to remove and know what to ask for forgiveness for. And it's not just enough to ask for forgiveness. We must also take the steps to change our thoughts and actions. So when people come up to me, they're like, Corey, I'm struggling with porn all the time. One of the first questions I ask isn't, do you love Jesus and are you sorry for it? What steps are you taking to stop looking at porn? If you take your laptop home every night and sit up till three o'clock in the morning, I guarantee you, you're going to slip up. So you got to shut the laptop. You got to keep it at work. You got to give a password to your wife or have some kind of accountability software or something. Take some steps. I can't pray your flesh away, right? You just dissipate and go away. I can't do that. So you have to take steps to get control over your flesh. We repent, but we have to take steps to change our thoughts and actions. Guys, if you're dealing with, with depression or struggling with, with anger or fear, these things, take an inventory of what you're feeding yourself. I don't know why I deal, deal with anger all the time. I'm listening to you know, Slipknot 24-7. I don't, I don't know why I have these anger issues. And if you're one of those people that doesn't think that music and all that stuff has an impact on you, you're just foolish. It's straight up foolish. Everything we take in, Jesus says, everything we take in can contaminate the entire soul. It's in Matthew. He says that. So we need to be careful what we take in. 
Guys, I know this is Christianity 101, right? We're talking about fundamentals. Do we pray? Do we pray? Jesus said, you have not because you've asked not. We don't communicate. Are we being still, like the psalmist said? Are we being still? Are we meditating? I don't mean that in any new agey way, but are we taking time to go and to be quiet and to be still? Maybe get out of town, maybe walk in the woods, maybe get somewhere where there's not so many distractions. Are we praying? Are we fasting? Are we cutting things out of our life, not just for the sake of losing weight? Are we cutting those things out so we can focus on the word? Jesus said, some things only happen when you pray and fast. That's what he said. Jesus said that. We'll do a fast at the beginning of this year. We do 40 days and we get to eat, but we cut out all secular media. We cut out all secular music and things like that. And it just kind of cleanses us a little bit, purifies us a little bit, gets us ready for the new year. Are we praying? Are we fasting? Are we reaching out to others? Look at the harvest, Jesus said. It's ready. Guys, you don't have to wait for the world to get worse. It's already pretty bad. Don't wait for it to get worse. Start engaging people. Start talking to people. Start getting to know people. Start getting to pour into people. Invite people over for dinner. Buy a cup of coffee. Make some steps. Because here's the thing. Anticlimactic. If we hear the word... And if we apply and obey the word, I guarantee you, you'll see change. I guarantee it. If we are committed to hearing and obeying the word of God, you will see a change in your life. Let me tell you one story and I'll let you go. I won't say their names because I don't ever want to embarrass anyone. There's a young couple that comes to this church. I really like this couple. I've been coming here for, gosh, I guess a couple years now. Come to this church and back in, I mess up the dates if they're in here, they'll correct me. I think back in January, they both came into my office. They got a couple of kids, two or three kids, I can't remember how many, came into my office and um, I, I don't know how long they've been married, but they were talking, their marriage was just, it was just a rough, it was just a rough patch, which we've all had, right? So they're going through a rough patch and, and um, he was drinking too much and that was kind of his escape from just all the pressure and, and, and just, you know, when they would get in arguments and he's working 60, 70 hours a week. And so his escape was kind of drinking. Her escape was just, she was a workaholic, right? She'd wear like the power suits and her hair was really tight and had the power glasses and wouldn't bend her back when she sat down, just like, right? Like just an intimidating woman. So they came into my office and, and marriage was just kind of on its last leg. And they said, I guess we're willing to give it a shot. This is kind of our last ditch effort. And I was like, okay. I said, here's some practical things you guys can do. And I wrote down a list of about nine things. There's some of you in this room, you've come to my office and I've given you this list. Simple things, guys, not anything, not like psychotherapy or drugs or any of this crazy stuff. It was just like, come to church every week, get involved in a group, get involved in counseling, um, go on a date every single week, read the Bible, pray. I'm talking simple, ground level stuff. And I said, if you guys will commit to doing this list, if you will commit to doing this list for six months, and if it doesn't change your marriage and your relationship with God, get divorced, right? Just be done with it. And they said, okay, we commit to that. Okay. That was in January. About three months went by. It was April, I think. I think it was April. They came back again and I was like, how is everything? How's it going? They're like, you know, it's, it's, it's not amazing, but it's, it's better. You know, she said, well, I'm cutting back from work a little bit. You know, he said, well, I haven't drank in 30 days. I was like, that's fantastic. And you know, we're, we're going on dates. We're doing these things. The dates are awkward, right? And so they're talking about these things. And I'm like, okay, but you're sticking to it. Yeah, we're sticking to it. I was like, okay, well, we'll see each other in a couple months. A couple months went by. Didn't hear anything from them, which made me nervous. 
And then all of a sudden, just the wife made an appointment with me, which made me really nervous. Just the wife made an appointment, and I'm like, oh, geez. And so she showed up one day. She wasn't wearing the power suit. She didn't have the power glasses on. She had her hair down. She's wearing like shorts and a tank top and super casual. And that kind of made me nervous too. I was like, oh no. And so she came back to my office and she sat down and I was like, everything okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm gonna put my notice in for work this week. I'm gonna quit and just be at home with my kids. And I was like, okay. And she said, you know, my, my relationship with my husband is going great. We're having a great time. He hasn't drank in a long time and we don't argue and we're spending a lot more time with our kids. And He's just such a good provider. Then she starts to brag on her husband. And dude, I just lose it. I just lose it. I'm just like, that's not what you're supposed to do when you're counseling someone, by the way. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just like, I mean like hands in, on my head, just like weeping. Because the simple fundamentals of our faith changed not only the course of a marriage, they changed the course of these children. And no, no telling how many people this young couple will affect this ripple may go on for literally generations because two people committed to hearing the Word of God and applying the Word of God. That's it. That's it. And Jesus completely changed that whole dynamic. And I send, I send the husband texts every once in a while. I probably freak him out, but I send him texts and I'm like, dude, I'm so proud of you. And the last time I did that, he's like, for what? You know, like, I'm just like, because you're a good dude, man. Like, just proud of you. Now listen, your situation may not be a marriage. It may not even be anything to some of us that may be monumental. But I'm telling you, whatever the situation is in your life, whatever the speed bump is, whatever the, the, the roadblock is, whatever the curveball is, whatever analogy you want to use, whatever the frustration is, wherever the fear is, wherever the sadness is, wherever the loneliness is, if you will position yourself to hear the word of the Lord. If you will pray and let God not only show you his word by this, but to speak to you. And if you will grow comfortable with him and learning how to know when God is speaking to you. If you will invest in reading, if you will invest in praying, if you will invest in community, if you will apply those things, I give you my word, things will change. I give you my word, things will be different. Is it gonna be easy? No. Is it gonna be quick? No. It's gonna take time. Relationships always take time. But that's okay. Because that may mean your kid's future. It may mean your neighbor's salvation. It may mean your workplace's environment. It may mean our schools. It may mean our governments. It may mean our economic systems. It will ripple through everything if we hear the word of God and apply it. Would you bow your heads with me? Listen, if your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, if you're in here and you are not a believer, either you're not a believer or maybe your faith is like, man, it's just like hanging on by a thread. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. If you're in here and you're struggling with your faith, if you can muster up just enough courage sometime before you leave this building in an audible voice, you don't have to shout it just so you can hear yourself say it. God, if you're up there, if you're real, if all these things I hear are true, would you somehow speak to me? Would you somehow send me someone? Would you somehow give me peace or comfort or, or something, God, to get my attention? 
If you pray that, I am crazy enough to believe that if you're genuinely looking for the truth, the truth will find you. I believe that. If you're in here and you're a Christian, I'm not saying this to dog you or make you feel bad, but I feel compelled to tell you this. Guys, some of us need to repent. We need to ask God to forgive us, and we need to, we need to take the steps to change. Man, I'm not a prophet, God, guys, but I feel like some of you have some, some secret sin, some things that you have to address. You have to change the way you think and act. Some of you need to start a prayer life. Even if it's just for five minutes in the morning or 10 minutes before you go to bed, we've got to make it a priority to pray. We've got to make it a priority to be at church. We've got to make it a priority to read the Word of God. And if you do those things, I guarantee you, you'll see a change in your life. I guarantee it. So all around us right now is communion. There are communion tables all the way around this room, wherever there's a lamp on a table. Before we take that communion, if you would ask God to forgive you of your sins, you're welcome to take that. And in that time, I just hope that you have some intimacy with the Lord, that you talk to the Lord, and that we commit between now and next week, maybe we can start a pattern, right? Maybe we can start a lifestyle change. And we'll see the fruit of that. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Lord, if there's anyone in this room, God, that just needs to get closer to you, Father, I pray, Lord, that you start to touch their heart right now. Speak to them. Prompt them, God. Give them encouragement, Lord. Challenge them. Push them. Convict them, God. Me too, Lord. Me too. Help us to draw closer to you, Lord. God, if there's anyone in this room that needs prayer, Lord, let them come up front and, and, and just get beyond themselves and not be embarrassed or ashamed, but find some people to pray with and to help bear that burden with them. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your son that died on the cross for us. We thank you for his body that was broken, his blood that was shed that's represented by this communion. And Lord, that you would invite us to commune with you and have a relationship with you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you, God. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself to communion. There's men and women on my right and left. If you need prayer for anything, please make yourself at home. Love you guys. Have a good week.